Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 this morning. We have turned a great corner in the book of Romans, and we are done with man's sin, at least the problem, the darkness, the blackness, because now Paul introduces us to the answer. And it begins in verse 21 by saying, But, but now, what two powerful words. You know, when you're, when you're in the cesspool, when you're in the misery and the lostness of sin and the darkness and blackness of the picture that Paul has painted, the word you want to hear is but. But now. God has stepped into the picture, and he has done something. And this is what he did. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We want to begin talking this morning about the righteousness that is provided for us by God in Jesus Christ. Paul introduces this by saying, but now apart from law. And isn't that good news? Because you and I can't keep the law. There's nothing we can do to earn right standing with God on the basis of law. But now, apart from law, God has made provision. He has made an opening. He says, a righteousness from God has been revealed. Now, I want to talk about that phrase just for a little bit. You remember back when we were studying the, the introduction to Romans and that overarching theme of Romans, that Paul expresses in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we talked about the way that was translated, is it the righteousness of God or is it a righteousness from God? And if you have the New International Version, I believe it translates it a righteousness from God. If you have the New American Standard Bible, it translates it the righteousness of God. What's the difference and why is it important? Well, first of all, we need to recognize that if you're lost in sin and you're in a hopeless situation, for someone to come to you and tell you, I want to reveal to you how holy and righteous God is, as in the righteousness of God, that would not be good news. That would tend to make you feel more hopeless. You know, to, to, to be in sin, and then for somebody to say, listen to how holy God is, to how righteous He is, to how pure He is. And by the way, He hates sin. And His wrath is kindled against the ungodly. 
that would kind of leave us in worse shape than we already thought we were. And so the best way to translate that, I think, from the Greek, and, and honestly it can be translated kind of either way, but in the Greek that definite article the, or the, as we say when it's isolated, is not there. Our translators have added it for what they hoped was clarity. And you can translate it normally when the article is left out of the Greek. You can translate it A. A righteousness from God. A righteousness from God has been revealed. In other words, it's not so much that God is holy, that is the gospel message. It is that God makes it possible for us to be holy. He makes it possible for us to be righteous. And that's what Paul is getting at in this opening verse. Apart from law, a righteousness from God has been unveiled. It's been revealed. It's been manifested. Even the righteousness uh, that was witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But having said that, when God gives us his gift of righteousness, does it become my righteousness or does it remain his righteousness that he gives me? And I asked that question this morning, and you, you may think that I am initially nitpicking, <laughs> but let me tell you, Many times it's the nitty little things that determine whether we walk in liberty and in victory or whether we continue in bondage. Let me explain what I mean. Many people feel when they come to Jesus Christ for salvation that God gives them righteousness as in he makes them holy. He wipes, haven't you heard this imagery before? He wipes the slate clean. He erases all the past. He gives you a, a, a brand new page. He cleanses everything. And when you think of it in those terms, what is your next impression? I have to work hard now to make sure I keep this slate clean. I have to, I have to make sure that this righteousness I've been given doesn't get tarnished. I have to try to, 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 to please God. I mean, I've, I've been pardoned. I've been released from the bondage of law. I've been released from the penalty of sin. I need to make sure that I keep my life clean. And with that thought... God remains in an adversarial relationship. Let me explain that. If you feel that God has wiped your slate clean, given you a clean bill of health, removed your sin, and now you've got a, you wake up the next morning with a blank page, and you think, I've got to make sure not to add anything to that page now. And then, if I do, I'm going to disappoint God. If I do, God's going to be upset with me. I mean, look how, look how good he's been to me. 
I don't want to. I don't want to upset God. And when you do fail, what does the devil say to you? <laughs> God's God's upset with you now. God's angry with you. You messed up your slate. And what does that make you want to do when, as a Christian, you you fall on your face? It makes you want to run and hide. I think I saw that word hide mouthed back there. So it makes you want to run and hide. It does not make you want to run to God. It makes you want to run away from God. It makes you want to hide from God. It makes you feel embarrassed. It makes you feel like you've let God down. Somehow or another, you've messed up. And he, he, start, he gave you a brand new sheet, and you've already got it marked up again. But you see, the righteousness that is offered us by God through Jesus Christ is not a gift for me like it's my righteousness. It is, in fact, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to me. And friends, I cannot improve on it, and I cannot detract from it. That's why it's so important to to nitpick here. Because it makes a world of difference in how you live. And how you think in terms of God. It makes a world of difference in, in, in what you do when you do sin. Because He gives me not a righteousness of my own, but He gives me His righteousness in place of my own. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's in your outline. You can look that up later on. But let me just quote it for you in the interest of time this morning. Paul says in that passage, and it's a long discussion about what Jesus has done for us. And in that passage, he says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And let me explain that a little bit. The scripture says that God... When Jesus went to the cross to bear my sins, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin. He was the perfect Lamb of God. He had never committed one sin. He was born of a virgin. He was born without a sin nature. He was the second Adam. His mission here on this planet was to get it right, to live entirely without sin his entire earthly life and go to the cross the sinless spotless lamb of god but he was also god in human flesh and when he went to that cross and bore my sin he became sin for me but listen very closely he did not become a sinner do you see the difference he became sin for me He took my sin, my stain, my blackness upon himself, so much so that God, the scripture says, could not look upon that sight in his holiness and turned away from his own son on the cross. But we're talking about Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God. 
he could not become a sinner any more than I can become God. He became sin for me, but not a sinner. That I might be made the righteousness of God in him. But friends, when I come to Jesus Christ by faith and he gives me that gift of righteousness, In practice and thought and word and deed, I'm no more pure and holy and sinless than anybody else on the planet. The difference is, God has pardoned my sin and clothed me with the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. And I cannot improve on that, nor can I take away from it. It's His righteousness given to me. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, another passage that it's in your outline in your notes. Paul says in that passage, that I might be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own. You see, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ that I might be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. And the key phrase is, a righteousness of my own. I'm not looking to stand before God with a righteousness of my own. He doesn't give me a righteousness that I can have and keep and work with. Like it's my righteousness. He gives me the righteousness of Jesus Christ to wear as a dress, as a covering, And Paul says, I want to be found in him, not in my own clothes, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Not my own, but his that comes by faith. Let me kind of explain how that works. I I, I asked God to give me illustrations. I don't know how good this one is, but we'll try it on. A number of years ago when I was living in Nashville, I had a friend who was uh, kind of an important player in the Republican Party in in Tennessee, and he was also associated with the Freedom Foundation, and he was a lobbyist in in Washington. And um, President Reagan was coming to town. And those who had, uh, you know, who had significant roles to play or whatever, were given passes or tickets to come and see the president personally. And Scott was given an extra pass. And he asked me if I would like to go and see the president. And I thought, well, yeah, that sounds kind of like a neat thing to do. And because I've never seen a president. Uh, And so I thought, well, that would be neat. So he had to he had to take my name and social security number, date of birth, and all that a couple of weeks in advance, and it was I had to be vetted. I had to be checked out and made sure that, you know, I had never made any threats, that, that I, I wasn't a gun toting hillbilly or something like that that was gonna show up and, and so they, they checked me all out and uh when the day came that the president came to Nashville and this audience I mean there were a couple thousand people, but in this audience I had a special place. I was with my friend, and I had a VIP ticket, and I was admitted through a couple of metal detectors, I think, and passed the Secret Service, and 
But I, I was allowed to, to, to go into the auditorium where the president was going to be speaking. I wasn't a dignitary. I hadn't played any role in anything. Uh, I was not a mover and a shaker. I had no influence, really. And yet, I was treated that day as if I were part of that group of people that had been significant in the elections in Tennessee. Take it a step further and imagine that uh, you have a friend that is a significant player in one of the candidates' uh, campaigns, and there's a dinner in Chicago, one of those $10,000-a-plate dinners. And he's bought two tickets. And uh, these are the special people that are really going to contribute to the uh, hopefulness of a presidential candidate. And at the last minute, his spouse or her spouse can't go or whatever, and they invite you. Would you like to go with me to this dinner? It's black tie affair. You've got to wear your tux or your evening gown or whatever. You've got to get all dressed up. You've got to be checked out. You know, you've got to be able to go. And, and so you accept that invitation. And there you are with your friend in your fine evening attire, your formal attire, and you sit down at this, you know, immaculate, gorgeous banquet table, and here's, that plate cost you $10,000, you better look good, you know. And, uh, and you're there with all the movers and shakers in Chicago and all the dignitaries. They don't know that you're just you. You know, there you are at a $10,000 plate dinner. You're in your evening gown. You're wearing your tux. You're with your friend. That person's influential. And you have a special place at the banquet. And as far as anybody else knows there, you're a $10,000 contributor. And they treat you like one. But you know the truth. You're really not. You're just you. Friends, when God gives us the righteous robe of Jesus Christ to wear for dress and invites us to the banquet, we are treated as one of his sons and daughters. We are offered a seat in the banquet hall. We have an audience with our Heavenly Father. We are welcomed as if we were the Son of God himself. In fact, the scripture describes our position as joint heirs with Jesus. But we know the truth, don't we? You're not pure and holy to the core. You've still got all kinds of issues. But when you come to God, and you're wearing that robe of righteousness that belongs to Jesus, God looks at you and sees his own son. And he considers the fact that as far as he's concerned, you are dressed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Pure and holy and sinless in his sight. You have been washed with the blood and now clothed with the robe of the righteousness of of Jesus Christ.
And friends, you can't improve on it, and you can't detract from it. It is what it is. It's the righteousness of Christ himself given to you. Theologians call it imputed righteousness. Accountants call it reckoned righteousness. Whatever term you want to use, it means that God has recorded to your account the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and it is in that light that he sees you from now on. He didn't just wipe your slate clean. He did that. But he gave you a righteousness to wear which is the righteousness of Christ, and gave you perfect standing with himself. And that ought to make a difference in how you live. Because you don't have to live as if now I've got to make sure to keep this all clean. God knows who you are. When the scripture says that he removes your sin from you as far as the east is from the west, that he looks upon you as having the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean God developed amnesia. It doesn't mean that, that he can't see anymore, that he's blind. It doesn't mean that you're going to show up one day with some ugly stain on your slate and he's going to say, can't you do anything right? I mean, I cleaned you up, for goodness sake. What's the matter with you? You're still messing up. No, because you can't stain the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You come to him with perfect standing, and he sees you clearly. But the difference is, you're now at peace with him. He reckons you. He deals with you as if you had no sin. And then he looks at you and says, you know, I know you're still struggling. I know you've got issues. I know you've got habits. You've got addictions. You're in bondage in places. I know that. Why don't you let me help you? Don't, don't go off thinking you've got to get this thing all put together for your own self. Why don't you let me help you? Let me come alongside of you. When you sin, don't run from me. Because I love you and I have cleansed you. Come to me. I'm your hope. I'm your friend. I'm your help. I'm the source of your life. You see how important this little nitpick is? <laughs> If you think it's your righteousness and you've got to keep it in good shape, you're still going to be hiding from God. But if you understand that it's, it's the righteousness of Christ that has been given to you for dress, and that no matter how you mess up, God the Father still sees you in the eyes of His Son as perfect, then you can come to God. And, and you can lay the issues out. 
Father, you know I'm struggling with this. You know I have a problem here. You know I can't keep my mouth shut. Oh, I hate it. I can't help it. I don't know how to. Will you help me? And he will. It changes the whole dynamic of the relationship. So we have the righteousness of Christ. And don't make the mistake in thinking that it's now yours and like a prize, you've got you to keep it up. It's his. And it's perfect. And it will last forever. And it gives you right standing with God. Ron, brother, if you don't mind, if you could let Pastor Hector know, in about five minutes, I'll be moving toward the end here. That's the first third of my sermon. I'm going to finish the other two-thirds in five minutes. You think that? It'll happen. <laughs> you didn't think I could do the Old Testament survey in three minutes either. But anyway, we also need to realize in this passage that Paul says, the righteousness of God has been unveiled, it's been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness that God gives us, this gospel plan, is not a contingency plan. It was, not, it was not like God said, man, they always mess up. I gave them the law, I gave them the tabernacle, I gave them, I gave them the worship plan, I, I, I told them how to do everything, and they kept messing up. Now what am I going to do? Well, why don't I, well, I guess I could send my son. It's not a contingency plan. The law was not given to make us righteous. The law was given to acquaint us with sin. From the very beginning, God planned to send his son. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world for our sins. God, from the beginning, planned to send his son. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. But way back in Genesis 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 6, God says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Righteousness by faith in the book of Genesis. This is not brand new stuff. If you read the Ezekiel passages in Jeremiah, verses are listed for you. You can go back and read those when you get home. God is saying through these prophets, I know you have a problem, you have a hard heart, you have a stony heart. It's, it's like rock, man, it's hard to get through to you people. But I will give you my spirit, and I will give you a heart of flesh, soft, malleable flesh. I will make you real and fill you with my spirit. I'll put a, a new heart within you, and I'll write my, my righteousness, my rules. I'll write them on your heart. You know, not tablets of rock out here, but inside of you, I'll give you this righteousness that comes by faith. And so when John was talk, or Jesus was talking to, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, in that passage where the famous verse 16 occurs, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. As, as Jesus was in this conversation with Nicodemus, he said to Nicodemus, you know, this whole business of the new birth just confused the life out of Nicodemus. I mean, he just couldn't get it. And Jesus said to him something that is really incredible. He said, are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? What Jesus was implying was, any Pharisee 
that had carefully studied the Old Testament scriptures should have clearly understood that they all witnessed and pointed to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would pay for sin and give the capacity for a new birth. All the way from Genesis to Malachi, the testimony is about Jesus. And they were blind. They didn't see it. But they should have been able to see it because it was that plainly written. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? This is amazing. That you do not have this understanding because it's all over the Old Testament. Paul wants his readers to know, this is not a new thing I'm telling you. Those of you that are Jews, I'm not telling you that, that you have to completely part with your history and your background. I'm telling you that all of this truth is in your scriptures. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God which comes by faith for all who believe. Now I may be nitpicking here, but I will ask myself the question, why did Paul say, by faith for all who believe? Why does he use these two different words for what seems like the same thing? And it occurs to me that faith seems to have increments to it. You know, if you have great uh, faith like the grain of a mustard seed, or Jesus said regarding the centurion, I have not seen this great a faith even in Israel. Uh, faith seems to have some kind of dimensions to it. But believing God is simply taking him at his word. And in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that anyone should boast. Now there's some debate as to what he's referring to, that not of yourselves. Is it the faith, or is it the work, or is it salvation? But many people feel that he's referring to the faith. Not even the faith is yours. God gives that capacity. God gives you the capacity to have faith, to exercise faith. All he asks is that you just kind of look in his direction. Like that one who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I, there's something in me that says this is true. And I respond to it. Help me out with my faith issue. And God gladly responds to that. God has made this gift of righteousness so accessible and so available that any person in whatever condition they're in with the feeblest glimmer of belief can turn to God. And God will reach them and touch them and draw them to himself and give them faith as he opens our eyes to see our condition, as he reveals to us the, the death and the, the purchase of Jesus Christ, as he gives us an understanding of the good news, if we but look, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I, I'm looking in your direction. God gives us the faith to embrace the truth. Friends, as we, as we go through Romans in these sections now, I want you to see all that God has done for you. 
I want you to understand it. Because when you get a hold of grace, and you really see how much God loves you, and how much He's provided, and then you get a hold of of the power of His Spirit, it will change your life. God did not intend us to be saved only to to come under bigger bondage and and go on living these guilt-driven, frustrated lives like, man, I've got to be sure I... God wanted to make peace, bring us close to his heart, and say, I love you, I'm going to cleanse you, I'm going to clothe you, I'm going to fill you, I want you as my son, I want you as my daughter, I'm going to put my arm around you, I'm going to come to your rescue, I'm going to be there for you, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to live through you. I just want you to love me. I just want to be close to you. And so many of us continue to live under a burden of religion that weighs us down with guilt. And I want you to know this morning that there is a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And it's available to you if you just look to him.